September 4, 1997, Fiona Apple took the stage to accept the award for Best New Artist at MTV's Video Music Awards. With a look of modest resignation, Apple, then just shy of 20 years old, said she didn't prepare a speech like everyone else because she wasn't going to do what everyone else did. Then she quoted Maya Angelou and said the world is bullshit. Hang on, let me clarify. Maya Angelou didn't say the world is bullshit. Not in so many words, exactly. Angelou, in essence, said that the greatest thing an artist and a human being could do is create new opportunities. So Fiona Apple took that moment with the whole world of MTV viewers, including me, then just shy of 16 years old, watching, and she said, Don't believe what MTV wants you to believe. Don't buy the carefully cultivated line of popularity packaged and sold by yet another corporate machine dressed up to look somehow cooler and anti-establishment. Go with yourself, Apple said, because this world is bullshit. I cringed a little bit watching her say it, not because she was publicly condemning a lifestyle that, at the time, I kind of obsessed over, but because I knew there would be a backlash. People wouldn't reject their fascination with pop celebrity and MTV because a teenager told them to. They would kill the teenager. Even as a teen myself, I thought, mmm, they're not gonna like this. I could still barely remember Sinead O'Connor ripping up that picture of the Pope, and who the hell remembered anything else about Sinead O'Connor by 1997? I cringed because I thought that might be the last time I would ever see Fiona Apple on MTV, and I had grown fond of her that summer, having purchased her debut album, Tidal. Of course, I was wrong, and I was right. Soon thereafter, the video for her song Criminal, a dark voyeuristic fantasy showing Apple in various states of undress and disarray, dominated MTV's play. But the following year, the video only won the award for Best Cinematography. MTV had to honor the video's greatness, but they sure didn't want to let Apple give another speech. I don't know if that was the last Fiona Apple video MTV ever played, but it was the last one that I saw. By the time her second album came out in 1999, I was done with that channel, and whatever it was trying to serve me. I think, had Apple actually written a speech to convey her message, it might have been clearer and perhaps more readily accepted. But either way, she was right, and I took it to heart. That's why I never rejected her, I never turned on her for using her voice and creating those opportunities. And ultimately, because her music was just so damn good. For 23 years, off and on, Fiona Apple has been one of my favorite singer-songwriter musicians, and I am happy to kick off 2021 dedicating this episode of Fire & Water Records to her. Oh, and by the way, when she won the award for Best New Artist, she beat The Wallflowers and their lead singer Jacob Dylan. So suck it, Rob Kelly and whoever his <laughs> guest was on that episode of Pod Dylan. Uh. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Fire and Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me to discuss Fiona Apple, you know him from the Secret Wars and Beyond and the Never-Ending Reading Pile podcasts, please welcome Sean Ross back to the show. What's up, Sean? Well, you know, I'm, I'm hot off my appearance on Pod Dylan talking about <laughs> Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers, so I, I feel I feel called out. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, it's your third time on this show, so we got to do something special. 
That's true. That's true, man. This is great. I am so excited for this. I love Fiona Apple, and I, I actually have a very different genesis with her than you did, which is interesting. I was, it was really, I was pretty riveted listening to your story because I remember watching that speech, and I had the the reaction that MTV and Spin Magazine wanted me to have. I I turned on her in that moment, unlike you. <laughs> well, I I, I want to hear more about that, but uh, first, I, I do want to point out to our listeners. Sean was my guest on the first Fire and Water Records episode of 2020, and what a hell of a year that turned out to be. <laughs> so just because I don't believe in jinxes, I brought him back here to usher in 2021. Um, with that in mind, you, you kind of set it up, but how and when did you discover Fiona Apple? So, well, one, I want to apologize for 2020. I just want to get that. I want to make that on, on public record. Uh, so I discovered her the way everybody else did, you know, the, the, that speech and criminal all over MTV. And I liked criminal. I liked what I heard from her. And I was, I was injecting Lilith Fair into my veins. Like I was the prototypical sensitive nineties boy. I was an English major. I wrote poetry. I was addicted to Tracy Chapman and Tori Amos and Melissa Etheridge. I still am. I still love all of that music. That is the music that imprinted me on me, you know, in my formative years. And so when she came along, I was like, cool, you know, another powerful woman singer songwriter. Like, this is great. But I have to tell you, she came along sort of at the tail end of that movement. Mm-hmm. And I had already kind of been through Tori and, and, like I said, you know, Tracy Chapman and some of those great singer songwriters. And so I wasn't as predisposed to attach to her quickly, even though I liked criminal and I kind of liked what I heard from her. But my first big exposure to her was that, that speech on MTV. And I watched that speech and embarrassingly in retrospect, I thought, man, what a brat, like what a total, (laughs) just pampered, privileged little brat. And then I read, you know, the Spin Magazine article. I mean, people were just slamming her left and right. And I was hearing from people. I'd I'd gone to Lilith Fair. She wasn't at the Lilith Fair I went to, but I heard from people I knew who had seen her at Lilith Fair that she had kind of thrown some tantrums on stage when people weren't cheering. And, you know, I was was basically just every negative thing you heard about her at that time. I was like, yep, I, I, I hear it. I believe it. I'm buying into it. And then I met the woman that would become my wife. We met in college. Uh, our senior, my senior year, my second senior year, <laughs> to be specific, I was on the five-year plan, which is not unusual at, at prestigious Arizona State University. Actually, graduating in only five years is, is an award. Uh, and we met in a poetry class, not unironically, and we hit it off immediately and had that great college love story that you have. You know, when you fall in love in a car, basically, right? Like. You're just because we I have roommates. She has roommates. In fact, she was living with a guy at the time, though we didn't date until they broke up. But anyway, we you know would spend a lot of time in our cars together. And I remember sitting out in front of my apartment one night and we were talking and having those talks that eventually turn into an engagement and a marriage and a family and a life. And she had a tape deck. This is how long ago this was. And she was playing title by Fiona Apple. And I kind of I made a face and she's like, oh, do you not like Fiona Apple? And I was like, oh, you know, just such a brat. And she's like, she's like, yeah, she's like, I hear that. She's like, but have you listened? Have you heard this album? And I was like, well, I heard Criminal. And she's like, no, 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 no. You need to listen right now. And because I was falling head over heels in love with her, I was like, yes, I will listen rap, you know, rapturously. I will I will pay close attention. And she played it. And just coincidentally, the first song that came on was Never Is a Promise. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, my God. 
oh, I didn't know this was here. Like I didn't, I didn't know. Like I heard Criminal and thought, okay, well constructed sort of pop, you know, pop alternative song. I didn't know these other songs were here. And so my wife, you know, again, not at the time, but soon to be my wife was like, hey, Criminal's actually the the outlier on this album. <laughs> yes. She's like, it, it's the it's the most unusual song in the album. Most of them sound like this. And suddenly I was hearing, you know, Shadow Boxer and mm-hmm. Slow Like Honey and Sullen Girl. And I was like, oh, wow, I had really missed out. And so I just got addicted to it. It became one of our albums, you know, when we would do road trips and and, you know, anytime we were in the car together, which was all the time. And so it's really cool because, one, she's an artist that I did a 180 on, that I, I judged sort of unfairly because of media pressure, and then came around on because it remind, she reminded me of somebody I loved. Love, I should say. Wow. That was, <laughs> we're still married 23 years later. Uh, she reminded me of somebody I love. And, you know, and, and that's actually been kind of the through line of her, you know, which we'll talk about over the course of this episode is really that her music has come along at like very specific points in my life and has been the soundtrack of those specific points in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's all started in that car at night in front of my house because we wouldn't go inside because my roommate had a girl in there. So it was, you know, <laughs> it was like, it was, it was one of those, again, college love stories and it was set to the soundtrack of title. And, and I just have never looked back. I, again, like you said in the opening, she's been, you know, part of my, my musical life for 20, what, 24 years at this point. And, it's yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, just I mean, considering as we'll kind of go through, she's only had five albums, so they've come uh-huh. out kind of few and far between, and and very sort of like sparse. And, and we'll talk about what's going on, but yeah, she was she was sort of always there. Um, I, I feel like I was there from the beginning because I remember when the video for Shadow Boxer, which was her first single, and I'll we'll come back to that in a, a few minutes. I remember when that premiered. I think I, I remember the the VJ saying. This girl was only eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, and I, I just really liked it because yeah, it, it she she popped up at that time. You're right, sort of like as a lot of the the women from Lilith Fair, and and I I would I was following those a little bit. I, I knew of Tori Amos. I knew of a lot of those those artists, but also you know right around the mid '90s, coming off of this sort of alternative scene, I, we were getting more acts like Cheryl Crow and Jewel and Melissa Etheridge, mm-hmm. and I knew of these women, but here was this girl who was young who was just a few years older than me um and this was also right before you know like two years later we would get britney spears and christina aguilera and this new injection of the teenage pop star sex pot uh or at least the newest version of that it's probably as old as time yeah so i i liked her and i liked those singles and then when i saw the video for criminal which is dark and erotic but in a way that felt shameful and slightly accusatory. I mean, she's half naked, but she doesn't look like the girls I'm used to seeing in music videos. She looked real, uh, like someone I knew, like people I I, I was friends with, but she's undressed and she's singing about using her sexuality to get away with something. Um, And this video by Mark Romanek is, it's voyeuristic and it's, it has a hidden camera feel. So, we're watching her do this, but when she sings to us, it's like she's acknowledging us, and then watching it makes us feel sort of complicit in what mm-hmm. she's what's going on. So it's just it's a powerful music video, um, and I do like it. and I've always liked the song too. Um, I, the, the, I, like my memory is, as soon as I saw that, I knew I had to buy the album, but I think I had the album first. Um, so I can't. I don't even remember like the exact timeline, but. Because I, I do want to find. Because you mentioned that you you've seen her live, yes? 
Yes, I have. Yeah, a few times actually. Okay, I, I want to get to that, but because um, a couple of months after that MTV speech, uh, I saw her live. It was November fourteenth, nineteen ninety seven, at the Duke Ellington Ballroom at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, my hometown. Um, the show mostly it was mostly college kids, but maybe a dozen of us from my high school. I was a sophomore at the time. Me and my friend JT, and then a bunch of girls that we knew. I think JT and I were the only boys there, like at least from our school. JT had a, had a crush on this girl named Natalie, who was also there. Um, and I have this <laughs> this memory of during the show, he spotted Natalie in the crowd, um, and he's trying to get her attention. The thing <laughs> is, JT's like a head shorter than me and the, all the other people around us, like at the concert. And most of them are like we're we're probably the youngest people there. I'm sure we were. Um, it's a it's a college concert, so he can't even see Fiona Apple on the stage, but he sees this other girl that he knows, and he's trying to get her attention. And there's this break between songs, and Fiona Apple came up to the mic to say something. And you know when there's a crowd like at a concert, and the artist goes like up to the mic to open her mouth, everybody shuts up so they can hear. Uh-huh. And in this split second, Fiona Apple like, opens her mouth, and the whole room just goes hush. Except the kid sitting next to the, standing next to me just shouts out, <laughs> Natalie! <laughs> to get this other girl's attention. And it just rings out like a movie. It's like one of those like record scratch things where it's just, whoa. <sighs> and the whole auditorium just kind of stops and looks. And I'm looking at the stage. And Fiona Apple just kind of like turns and cranes her neck to the side. Like, who <laughs> just shouted that? And more importantly, why? And to this day, I am convinced, and, and I, I keep mentioning this to him, I have to think that at that moment, Fiona Apple thought someone at her concert was screaming out for either Natalie Merchant or Natalie Imbruglia, oh. one of the other female oh. like, stars from that time. So I keep telling JT, I was like, hey, you got her attention in the worst possible way. She thinks you were there, you know, just like calling That's out somebody awesome. else, calling out some other girl's name. In fact, she probably wrote a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he's like play carnival. <laughs> play these are the days. She's like wrong concert man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's so. That's that's hilarious. That'd be a perfect moment for her to be like, actually, it's Fiona. But, <laughs> yeah, <you know>. exactly. <laughs> Did he see the girl? I mean, you can't just leave us hanging. Uh, he, well, I, she, she heard him call out her name at that moment. Yeah, so. <laughs> No, I don't think anything ever became of that. Clearly not the start of a great love story, but a good not. story nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let us get into uh, the songs that we're going to cover. Uh, and I mentioned we're we're going to take these, for the most part, in chronological order of the album that they came out. Uh, and I'm going to start us off with her debut single, the song Shadow Boxer from the album Title, which came out in 1996. You creep up like the clouds And you set my soul at ease Then you let your love abound And you bring me to my knees Your grace and rapture me 
As I said, it's the first single, it's track three on the album, and I'm pretty sure I heard this right away when the video debuted. Um, as I mentioned, in this time, there's a lot of other, you know, I, I was I was familiar with a lot of those, you know, female, like, Lilith Fair stars that we've had, but also some of the, the more grungier alternative stars like Juliana Hatfield and Liz Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, these were the new acts, but... This one, she caught my attention because she was young, you know, just a teenager, but she wasn't dancing and showing off her abs in the videos, you know. <laughs> this, it's a sullen, it's a haunting piano song. And right away, you're like, this girl is extremely talented. Like, it, I think it shows just in this one song in this video. It's like, this girl might be one of those, like, prodigies and savant-like, you mm-hmm. know, like, which turns out was actually kind of true because she had been, you know, playing piano and, and composing music since she was, like, eight or nine years old. Um, so at this point, she had, like, a decade of experience before her first album. Her voice just struck me immediately because it's powerful, but it's not one of those operatic songbird voices like a Mariah Carey or Christina who belts out notes and, and has like a five octave range. It's nothing like that. It's it's a little bit throatier and a little bit huskier for somebody who seems to have such a small frame. I also think this is just it, it, this feels kind of like one of the most normal songs of all of them on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this strikes me as the song that could be adapted and covered easily by almost anybody. Um, it doesn't kind of have the same jazz or baroque style that she'll eventually kind of lean into, but uh, yeah, it's just this has always been one of my favorite songs, like right from the beginning. Uh, and I particularly love the lines in the second chorus: "I'll be sure to stay wary of you, love, to save the pain of once my flame and twice my burn." I just like the the phrasing of that. So it's a beautiful song. I mean, it definitely. It's funny that you mentioned the voice, right? Because that is. <laughs> hearing her that's the first thing and it's and it's there's such a dissonance between her physical presence and her vocal presence i mean she is this slight sort of waif of a girl at this point and and, and that actually hasn't really changed she's still you know <laughs> this very thin you know you know smaller person but the voice comes out and it's unbelievable and it's funny that you mentioned mariah carey because i actually remember watching this is going to really date me I remember watching the Arsenio Hall episode live <laughs> when he had discovered Mariah Carey, like singing somewhere and, and brought her on. And this was pre-industry packaged Mariah Carey. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is when she still had natural curl and, you know, was, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and she sang and, and it was like, it was like the heavens opened up. I mean, you're like, oh, there are people with good voices. And then there are like four or five people on the planet who have the voice of the gods. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of them. And this song, especially for me, really captures that because it's you're right. It's not a, a sing song because I'm a big Tori Amos fan. And she has that sort of fluttery bird like voice. I mean, she can go up and down octaves in a really interesting way. Yeah, yeah. But Fiona Apple has a like singer in a smoke filled room <laughs> voice at 18 when you know when she records this song, which means she also wrote it at like 14 or 15, which is the other piece that is just astounding. And that, yeah, the song blows me away. The way she sings it, this is such a, I'm, you're, I'm clearly not a musician in any way. The way she sings it, 
mimics the content like the form mimics the content right because she's saying like you're a shadow boxer i want to be weary of what you do and you've been swinging wildly and i don't know when you're going to make your move and her voice is is moving back and forth in these waves Mm -hmm. as she does it right and it's so cool because the way she's singing it and it's not a staccato it's a really kind of sultry jazzy version of it but it's also swaying the way she's swaying in the in the actual words of the song and it's just an amazing bit of form and content merging together that I, I've always really admired. I mean, I can't, I can't get over, and I'm going to say this a lot on this episode, I, I really actually cannot get over the fact that she was producing this kind of lyrical content at this age. It's just astounding. I mean, the, the, like, the word genius gets overused a lot, but she's clearly a genius. You know, she's clearly a prodigy. And And for me, this song, I think this might be... It's funny. It's not my favorite song on the album. We'll get to that one in a minute. But I think it's the, it might be the best song on the album. I, th- I think you're right that it's it's the most sort of. I think it's the most yeah. accessible. Yeah. Like it's, it's for not being like a standard pop song. I think it has the most mainstream pop sensibility that you could give this song to anybody, uh, and like without telling them who the artist is or anything, or without any preconceived notions, you could give this song to anybody, or you could have anybody like kind of cover this song. Uh, and, and I think it would kind of like just work. It's the most easily accessible and digestible. Yeah. I think it's a good gateway drug song mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. I think if you're, if you're wanting to introduce somebody to her, this is like the archetypal first song, which is smart because it was the first single from her. So that makes total sense. And, and it didn't do, you know, quite as well. I mean, I think it only hit like number 40 on the alternative list at first. It was criminal is definitely the song that broke her. Right. But I think this is the, the even though I love criminal, I think this is the superior song. All right, so what song from the album title do you have for us? So I mentioned it a little bit earlier that this is the the song that I, you know, was part of when I fell in love with my wife, so it's got that piece to it. It's also just a brilliant song lyrically, but my first choice is Never is a Promise. But as the scenery grows, I see in different lights The shades and shadows undulate my feelings swell and stretch I see from greater heights I understand what I am still too proud to mention To you You say you understand But you don't understand You But never is a promise And you can't afford to lie So I'm, I want to circle back to something I said about Shadowboxer. She wrote this song when she was 15. And I saw an interview with David Blaine, um, you know, magician and professional douchebag, on Howard Stern. <laughs> And he was talking about he had dated Fiona Apple. I think they had just broken up. This was way you know back in the '90s. And Howard Stern was asking him about her, and it's all the same stuff that I had believed initially. Howard Stern's like, "Gosh, she seems like such a brat. She seems so entitled." And to his credit, David Blaine was like, "No, no, no. That's all media created. She's amazing." And he's like, "You know, that didn't work out with us, but she's amazing." And she's like, "You know, one of the most talented people I've ever met." And he's like, "You know," and I actually met her 
you know, he's like, she didn't re- we didn't, neither one of us kind of remembered. He's like, but I met her actually years before we officially met and started dating. He's like, and I still remember, you know, she was, she had this like demo tape and it's this like scratchy version of never is a promise. And it's her at like 15 singing out an early draft of this. And I just am floored. I look around at my life and I look at all the things that I'm very proud that I accomplished. And I'm like, you know, I, I've lived a, a good life. I've made more with less. But I, then I look at something like, oh, but at 15, Fiona Apple wrote one of the great lyrical songs of all time. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm just a peon. And I, I, it's such an amazing song. And I, I'm just amazed by the, the maturity of it. And this is, I think, the thing that has always been astounding about her is not just the vocal maturity, the, the husky sort of vibrato that she brings, but also the lyrical maturity. I mean, for me in particular, there's a progression in that song. Uh, the verses, two verses, batches of them end with, um, I, I understand what I am still too proud to mention to you. And then she goes through the song about this guy who's making this promise. He's saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never let you down. And she's like, Hey, never is a promise. Like that word means something. And then she gets to the end of the song and she changes the lyric and she says, I realize what I am now too smart to mention to you. And it is this turn I mean, I like this song should have been written and sung by like early '80s Kathleen Turner. Like it, it's about it's like <laughs> this is this is a woman who's you know been through some shit. Like yeah. she has been through it, and and yet she was like 15 when she wrote this. I does it? I, I don't know. Does this song resonate for you? Because it is the it is the heart of that album for me. It absolutely is, and I I would venture that I was really happy that you picked this one because. I couldn't feel like I couldn't not pick this one. Like if you if you hadn't, um, I I think this is this might be my favorite song on the album. It's really yeah. close. Um, I kind of vibe. There, there's something about the song "The Child Is Gone" that I really like. I like the the sort of vocal change up during the chorus of that one. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I I like this one. And this one I remember creeping up on me the more I mm-hmm. listened to the album back then. Um, like I didn't like this one didn't knock me down right away, but it slowly crept up right, right before I, I think she actually did release this as maybe the last single and uh, there was a video attached to this one. Um, but even before that, I remember going, going again back like in, in school in the library during study hall or something when we were, you know, just when I was hanging out with some of my other friends talking to a girl, not named Natalie, actually, I think it was Jackie. <laughs> Um, and we were we were kind of like debating over the song or something like that and, and the vocal performance of this one. Um, yes, I, I think it's I, it might be. I, I lyrically it's incredible, uh, it's complex, but as a vocal performance uh, to to kind of like think about like the quality of it, I think it is one of the the highlights of this album. Um, I, I like when her voice changes during the chorus, and it, mm-hmm. like, there's there's an almost pained note uh, it, it, that she sings. It kind of just gets you in the guts, like when she, her voice gets really high. It's almost like ah, uh, it's it, it's it's like she's like squeaking out something between tears, and it's uh-huh. really really ah, uh, yeah, it's an amazing song. Yeah, it is, and just to I mean to me, imagine being a teenager and writing the line like "My feelings sweat and stretch." Mm-hmm. I see from greater heights, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, like yeah. that's. That's an amazing bit of writing. And then, yeah, the, the vocal performance is so cool because, you know, when she says that, that line I was talking about, when she says, like, I'm still too proud to mention, she follows it up with to you. And the way she sings it the two different times, the first time is like to you. It's sort of 
I don't know, there's a, there's a strength behind it, like a little bit of a line in the sand behind it. And at the end she stretches it out and says like, you know, to you. And it's like, Oh my God, it's heartbreaking. And it's, you know, and she conveys so much in the way that she carries certain notes. You're right. There's a, there's like an undercurrent of pain and you're like, how did you, how did you possibly feel this much pain at this, at, you know, at this age? But then you also think, oh my God, if you are that attuned to your feelings at this age, life must have been really, really hard for you. Like, I'm so glad she found music yeah. because I can't imagine having that level of sensitivity, that level of emotional intelligence at that age and surviving. Like, it's just, it's unreal. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll probably I'll come back to that as we get to sort of one of the one of the later songs and albums. Um, yeah, my last note: the ex lover in this song sounds like a real kind of condescending ass. And, <laughs> yeah, and I think she she does a she does a pretty good job of vilifying the the ex boyfriends and the and the loves in these songs. Oh like, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want to break up with her because yeah. she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna fry you. I mean, yeah. yeah. She says at one point, like, you say I need appeasing when I start to cry, yeah. and you're like, you jerk. Like, you, I like, I don't even, I don't know who he is. I mean, he could have been some like 15 year old guy she dated for a week in high school, <laughs> and I'm like, you condescending mansplaining Jack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on now to her follow up album um, in 1999. It is generally just referred to as when the pawn, um, but that is just the first three letter, the first three words of a poem uh, that she writes that is on the cover of the album, and the, the poem is the album title, which for a long time was the longest album title ever. It is not anymore. Um, but the poem and the full title of this album is when the pawn hits the conflicts he thinks like a king what he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing for he enters the ring there's no body to batter when your mind is your might so when you go solo you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights and if you know where to stand then you know where to land and if you fall it won't matter because you'll know that you're right so Think about that as it is an album title. <laughs> I mean, it's not slippery when wet, but you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, the first track from this album that I want to talk about is The Way Things Are. So keep a Track eight on the album. Um, getting back to when I saw her live, uh, she ended her the main concert. Again, I saw her during the, the title tour. And she ended that concert, the main section, the main set, with the song Carrion, which is the last song from the album. 
Um, and there's a really cool outro jam on the album, but the live show really expanded that. And my favorite part of that was there was a really great guitar, like riff, just blow out a solo type of thing, uh, during the concert. Um, on the album, it's performed by John Bryan, who went on to produce this album. And I, I love that sound and I loved, the, you know her lyrics in the piano, but I'm a rock and roll guy, and I I love just hearing that that injection of a rock guitar into like a rock blues guitar into her music, and I wanted more of it, and I got some in this song. <laughs> like when when I heard the song, when it kicks off with this guitar, I was like, yes, oh, I love this this added little kind of muscular you know song to to what she usually brings to it. So that that's the that's the primary reason why this song has always stuck out to me. But I also love the song itself. Um I think she's dabbling slightly with an unreliable narrator uh in, in the, the lyrics to this one. Um I think she's saying up front that she doesn't want to be in this relationship. She wants the guy to leave her alone. She's not worth the fight. But by the end she seems to possibly be saying that if he does keep it up, if he does, you know, put in the work, maybe they can get through this shitty feeling. So, what do you think about this one? I love this song. I, I love this album. I, I actually <laughs> think that When the Pawn is a perfect album. There's yeah. not a song I don't love. There's not a song I would trade. And I actually I actually think this is her Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys, <laughs> which I know is a weird reference, especially for anybody who's maybe a little bit younger. But when the Beastie Boys first came out with License to Ill, you know, Fight for Your Right to Party, they were just this goofy – you know, three Jewish guys from Queens who, you know, were a, a party band. And then their second album, Paul's Boutique, came out and it bombed. And people, they, they expected License to Ill 2. And instead they got an album produced by the Dust Brothers with amazing <laughs> samples of like bizarre sounds and other songs. And it took years, but people finally started going back to that album and saying like, oh, this was the progenitor of what hip hop became in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Paul's Boutique is now considered like one of the great hip hop albums of all time. And I actually I feel really similarly about this album because people wanted title two and it's not what you get on this album. This is a much more mature, much more musically mature album. Um, you know, there's still some of those jazzy overtones and there's a couple songs coming where we'll address those. But there's so much more electronica. There's more guitar. There's more experimentation in the music. The lyrics are as good as ever. I mean, there's, she's just lyrically brilliant. The voice is as good as ever. But the music gets much more experimental in this album. And I love that you picked this song because this is a great example of it. That like whiny kind of almost like you said bluesy. It's almost like a steel guitar riff but yeah. not on a steel guitar. Yeah. Uh, it has that like that – and it's so good because it comes in and it's like, you know, and it's like – and then she hits the note. She's like, you know, better off and she goes up an octave mm-hmm. and then she's like much, much better off. And there's this sort of sing-songy version to it and it matches really nicely. It's it's just – a it's it's one of the more – experimental moments on the record and it's a hint of what's to come in her later albums yeah the the notes for the guitar like, i don't know what if they're minor major chords but they feel like it's like something intentionally just dragging down and yep. kind of pulling this like this weight like it's sort of tearing at something about this song and and pulling it not in like a a violent way but almost kind of a, like a pleading type of way and i just yeah dig it 
Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a slide guitar kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I it's and you're right, there is an undertow to this song, which again, form matching function. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant because you know, the the whole version of the song, like she I love that line. She says, I wouldn't know what to say to a gentle voice, it would roll right past me. And she keeps talking about this like gentle boy, you know, and she doesn't she's like, Oh, I'll I'll hurt you. I <laughs> like you poor, poor soul. I I'll I'll tear you apart. I'm much better off the way things are. But at the same time, in saying that, she's also saying like she's afraid of the the vulnerability and the risk of this gentle soul. And then you're right, it ends in a nicer place with a little hint of like maybe there's some hope. But it's so self-aware and it's so reflective. And I just I love this song. And I think it's a really nice musically where it falls in the album. And I know it's weird to talk about albums now because people don't necessarily listen to albums as a whole. But it falls in a really important place because there's been a couple slower songs around it. And this is the song that kind of picks things up again a little bit before you get the boom. So I, I love it. I was I was excited that you picked this one. All right. What do you got from this one? So we're going to stay with When the Pond for a little bit because, again, perfect album. <laughs> and yep. my next song from it is one of the saddest songs on the album, Love Ridden. I want you warm, but it will only make me colder when it's over. So I can't tonight, baby No, not baby anymore If I need you, I'll just use your simple name Only kisses on the cheek from now on And in a little while, alone they have to wait now, this song for me really shows progress for her as a, as a songwriter and as a person, actually. You know, at the time, she's dating, very famously, she's dating Paul Thomas Anderson, the, the great <laughs> film director. He's the one who actually films all three videos for this album. And a lot of this album, she's since said that, you know, it's very autobiographical about their relationship. And, you know, that's it's... it's are sort of tumultuous and I, apparently they're still pretty close today which is nice to hear but I, actually I, I was going to mention it when you when we were talking about the other one like I I mean because you mentioned the David Blaine thing it seems like almost all of her exes they either have a, a weird kind of friendship or they still have a lot of nice things to say about uh-huh. her but it's sort of like the trade-off is you can be friends and you can be happy with each other but she's going to not so subtly destroy you with her music so. <laughs> you know what it, it reminds me of Stephen King you know, Stephen King in interviews will talk about people are always amazed at how nerdy and normal he is. And he's like, well, yeah, I exercise all my demons. And I like I feel <laughs> yeah. like this is the same version of that. She's like exercises all of her romantic and love crazy. Mm-hmm. So she's actually like a super nice, like really chill person in yeah. real life. But uh, yeah, you're right. She is apparently really close with all her exes. And so so this song in particular, I love it's this slow build, another sort of jazzy song that kind of reminds me of Shadowboxer. But where in Shadowboxer, she's a younger songwriter and a younger person, and, and she's weary and she's afraid. You know, she's like, I don't know when you're going to make your move. In this song, it's all about agency, and it's about, oh, I, I love you and I want you. Like she, she opens the song by saying, like, love written. I've looked at you with the focus I gave to my birthday candles, and you're like, okay, she's really into this person. But then she says, and this is the line that that kills me in this song. She says, you know, nobody sees when you were lying in your bed. And I want to crawl in with you, but I cry instead. I want your warm, but it will only make me colder when it's over. So I can't tonight, baby. And it's this great moment for me of of health, of like emotional well-being, of saying like, I may want you, 
but I'm old enough now or I'm mature enough now to turn off that part of me and say no because, again, you're, I want your warm, but it will only make me colder when it's over. And it's just such a brilliant song. It's a beautiful song. And I, I love the progression of her lyrics and, and kind of just of, of the maturity of the songwriting in this. And is this is this one that you are fond of? I do. And especially as uh, thinking about maturity, I think there is a very, very adult resignation in the chorus and, and the way it progresses, how it's just when a relationship is over, how things are kind of just systematically downgraded. How you just yeah. down, downgrade a person from your life. Because she says they won't call each other baby anymore. They're just going to use just your name. It's like we don't have these, you know, romantic pet names for each other. The next time I see you, it's just Paul or Fiona or whatever. Um, the next time that we see each other, it's just kisses on the cheek. And in a little while, we'll only have to wave. Just like that, that progression mm-hmm. of becoming less and less intimate, less and less familiar until it's just strangers waving almost. Um, yeah, I, I do think the, the emotional maturity of that, of sort of realizing that and seeing where that where that relationship ends is is important, powerful. I feel like she got divorced at thirteen. Like I feel like you know, like, she, <laughs> like the level of, of maturity she brings to her music, it's crazy. Like this is a song, this is a song that would be perfect for like a, a divorced couple who's ending a long life together, and yet she was you know twenty when she wrote it, twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing. It's, I, yeah. I mean, I wasn't sure where I was going to bring this up in our discussion, but I, if you look it up, Fiona Apple was raped when she was very young, yeah. like I, 11, 12, maybe younger. I don't remember. Um, uh, but like – and a lot of people, when they hear that about it, you know, going through that trauma at such a young age, they're like, that must have informed a lot of your creativity and a lot of your music. And she has publicly said for the longest time, she's like, no. She's yeah. like, I, I just – I didn't even want to – acknowledge it that much to to she's like it was it was a very how did she describe it a very kind of boring pain that didn't really like inspire that you know like by then it was like i don't know give give more power to the attacker to let it live on in her that way that she just Mm -hmm. kind of just either just buried it or got past it how true or how honest that is, I, I don't know. I mean, I, she'll definitely resurrect a lot of feelings about that when we get to her last, most recent album. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, talk about somebody who, like, if, if what she said was true, I mean, to be able to go through a sexual trauma at such a young age and basically just say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to acknowledge this as a way of owning it and, and kind of getting past it. I mean, that might not be everybody's method of therapy and getting over it but that was her her path and if that worked for her then it did yeah and, and i think about again i'm a big tori amos fan and on on little earthquakes her first album there's the song me and a gun mm-hmm. which is about being assaulted and and i think about you know she was very young when she wrote that when she recorded it and and you know has talked openly about wanting to very publicly exercise some of that pain and and then you know and Fiona apple taking a very different path and and it's just it's it is it's it's Interesting. I like in, in interviews, I, I've watched some of those same interviews where she said like, no, I didn't let it inform my songwriting. And, and if you look at her early albums, they're all about love, you know, about various stages of love. And then, and then, yeah, we get this very interesting moment, which we'll talk about in a bit and fetch the bolt cutters mm-hmm. where some of that stuff starts coming back. And, um, but you know, this album in particular, I just think, you know, the, with, with love written and, and the songs that are coming, it's such a, 
uh, a portrait of a relationship of all the different parts of a relationship. You know, it almost reminds me of that movie Marriage Story, mm-hmm. uh, though like eighty percent less douchey. And it's <laughs> um, it was a good movie, but you know, a little douchey. And it's you know, and, and and this album reminds me of that because there are so many different parts of a relationship on it. And it makes me want to read the book of her and Paul Thomas Anderson's love story. You know, like I feel like it'd be a really good book because <laughs> he's making Magnolia at the time yeah, too, right? Exactly, like, yeah, that's yeah. one of my best movies ever. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that on Film and Water one time. Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on. Uh, still sticking with this album because, you, as you described, it's such a good album. We need to spend more time on this one. Um, going to the next song, I know. Be it I'm your crowbar If that's what I am so far Until you get out of this mess And I will pretend That I don't know of your sins Possibly is my favorite Fiona Apple song. Um, it certainly was for a long time, and I, after all of our discussions, I might revisit some of my lists. Um, but this this if, had had always been one of my absolute favorites, and it, this song fascinates me because this is about being the other woman in a love triangle, but not feeling at all guilty about it or ashamed mm-hmm. of it. It's 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 also it's not a home wrecking song. It's fairly passive. Um, the first time I heard this song, li- paying attention to the lyrics and really immersing myself in it, I thought maybe this was a like all in her head, like th- this was her way of saying you know it was a very one-sided love affair that she had concocted this relationship with a man who was unavailable and invented these obstacles to explain why she doesn't or why he doesn't seem to reciprocate. With the benefit of time and experience, uh, actual grown-up relationships, you see more complexity. And Mm -hmm. she is in love with a married man who can't leave his wife or his spouse for reasons, and they're all sorts. Um, But she's the wedge that will eventually he will eventually use to free himself from this marriage. He compares herself, or she compares herself to a crowbar in the first Mm -hmm. line. And like he uses her skin to bury his secrets in, and just ah, uh, yeah, she, like she she's playing the long game. She's in it to win it. So there's just uh, she's happy to be in the background doing her own thing, but she has this secret knowledge, the secret that they are in love, and like he she knows that what he's thinking about when he can't say it, when he can't be public, and there's just something about her as a character in this piece that I'm just really fascinated by and really moved by. And to something that you mentioned in, in your intro, 
when I met my wife and when we fell in love, she was living with another guy at the time. And I didn't feel guilty because I knew that the love had gone out of that relationship and she wasn't happy, but it was going to take time to kind of extricate herself from that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I waited it out. And that's just sort of, yeah, I I just realized it's, it's not like a tawdry affair thing. It's just very, very sort of matter of fact, an adult. That's kind of how things get when you're older. Uh, so as much as I love this song right away, it's something, it's, it's a kind of love that has just grown and with more appreciation as I have old aged and seen more relationships like this and had more experiences. So what do you think? I mean, as, as you mentioned too, that, you know, when you were with your wife or the woman who would become your wife, you know, you had obstacles like that too. Yeah, that's it's funny that you bring that up. We, had, we actually have a very similar story. I, I, the, the day I met my wife, we met at college. We met uh, the first day of a poetry class, and we clearly hit it off in the hallway. We, I was to class a little bit early. She got there a little bit early, and we had a great sort of meet-cute moment where she was frustrated with the school and threw her bag down and didn't see me there and hit me because I was sitting on the floor. <laughs> and you know, and I literally – it's funny. I looked up. And I, 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 I'm not a romantic person. I come from like a brutally divorced home, so I never believed in love and marriage. I looked up and I thought, oh, I'm going to marry that person. <laughs> and it's funny. I, I remember telling her that later and she was like, nah. And I'm like, no, seriously, I had that exact thought. And so anyway, we hit it off. We have this great moment. We're in class and our comments in class are, you know, we're clearly sort of having this weird, fun, flirty thing that's probably annoying the hell out of everybody around us. And afterwards – I was like, hey, clearly we connected. Like, why don't, you want to go grab lunch? I don't have a class after this. And she's like, yeah, I don't have one for an hour. So we went and got lunch and we're talking, talking, talking. I walk her to her next class and I was like, hey, I'm going to kick myself if I walk away from this and don't ask. Like, do you want to go out sometime? And she's like, yes. And then she goes, no. And I go, wait, what? <laughs> and she goes, um, and I go, do you have a boyfriend? She goes, yeah. And I go, why did you say yes when I asked you out? She goes, I forgot. And I go, oh my God. And so she's like, I go, well, look, we still have a connection. Like, I don't want to do anything untoward. So let's just hang out. Let's be friends. So she gives me her number. I call her like the next day and he answers the phone. And then I, she, he puts her on and I go, you live with him? And she's like, yeah. And I go, you forgot you had a boyfriend and you live with him? And she's like, yeah. Does that make me a bad person? <laughs> and so, so it was, it's kind of the same thing it sounds like with you and your wife where – you know, out of respect, we did not officially date, though we were having a sort of romantic affair in retrospect. We didn't officially date until she had more fully extricated herself from that relationship. However, there was this moment where he – they had broken up and she had actually kind of moved in with me and my roommate without telling us. She had just come for the weekend and then three months later she was still there. <laughs> and um, <laughs> at one point he kind of confronted me even though she had been really honest with him and had ended the relationship, like it was, everything was on the table. And he was like, you know, basically said to me, like, don't you feel bad? And I said, no. And he said, well, why? And I said, well, one, she had assured me your relationship was over and I trust her. I said, and two, I said, and I don't mean this to be as as mean as it's going to sound. I said, but you were trying to win a race. We were never in a race. Like (laughs) it's her and I, like it's uh, like, it's going to be her and I forever. Like that's just, you guys were you had your thing and that's great i don't begrudge that but like this is the long haul and it's funny because i said it you know 100% confidently and i you know look back on it and i meant it and it's been true obviously but i think about all the men and women who are the other men and women who think oh he's going to leave her for me one day or she's going to leave you know him or her for me one day who are fooling themselves mm-hmm. and i think you know wow i wonder like 
you know, it's a fine line between being the confident person who's like, I'm going to wait this out, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, stand, but like she says in the song, you know, I'm going to basically stand behind the curtain while you, you know, take your bow and your applause. And, and I'm, you know, I, I can wait until you find the way to say you love me and let and tell me so, uh, but you don't need to say the words. And I, and it's like, it's such a fine line between being that person and being the, oh, he's never going to leave his wife. She's never going to leave her husband. I'm an idiot. I've wasted all these years person. And so I do love this song and it does remind me of that. And then I also just think this is my favorite song by her unequivocally. I also think it's the single greatest vocal performance of her career Mm. because of the way she floats through the notes. And it's like these moments of just abject love for him. And then these like bottomed out bass notes where she's having this moment of realization, like, like she says, baby, I can't help you out while she is still around. Um, you know, it's just this up and down the octaves, which is, you know, an up and down the emotional roller coaster. And I love it too. I, it's funny because I don't think it was on my original list. It was an oversight on my part. And I was going to reach out to you to be like, Oh, I need to change one of my songs. And then you sent me your songs and I was like, Oh good. Ryan had me covered. You picked like three (laughs) songs I would have changed to. So I was really glad you picked this. I, I agree with you. I think this is my favorite song of hers of all time. Yeah. All right, then that means it's all downhill from here. So <laughs> what's the <laughs> next one now. you got? <laughs> so for me, it's we're still with When the Pond because, again, perfect album. But for me, this is a very different song tonally and musically, uh, and it is Paper Bag. I was staring at the sky Just looking for a star To pray on or wish on Or something like that I was having a sweet fix of a daydream of a boy whose reality I knew was a hopeless to be had. But then the dove of hope began its downward slope. And I believed for a moment that my chances were approaching to be grand. But as it came down near, so did a weary tear. I thought it was a bird, but it was just a paper bag. Hunger hurts, and I want them so bad. Oh, it kills, cause I know I'm a messy, don't wanna clean up. I got to focus, these hands are too shaky to hold. Hunger hurts, but starving works when it comes too much to love. So I had to pick this song because for me, this is when Fiona gets fun. <laughs> this is fun Fiona Apple. This is playful Fiona Apple. Like we haven't lost the ruthless introspection and we haven't lost the like surgical precision to cut a man, to cut a bee if she needs to. <laughs> but this song, the music of it is is sing-song and funny. The way she sings it is sing-song and funny. You know, she talks about looking for a sign about love and she sees this beautiful bird and then it floats down and it was just a paper bag. And it is it – is, such a great tongue-in-cheek song about a love that's not working. And and it takes real maturity and strength to be funny. And it takes real maturity and strength to be funny about love. And I it's it, it's interesting. She is not an artist that most people would describe as funny or playful. And yet her follow-up albums are at least two of them are very much in the vein of paper bag. Like this was a precursor of extraordinary machine and a a lot of what you'll find on fetch the bolt cutters because it is again, still really insightful and, and decisive. But I I mean, the line that kills me 
she's saying to the guy, you know, she wants a kiss and he won't kiss. And she says, you know, failure to kiss is failure to cope. And she says, honey, I don't feel so good. I don't feel justified. Come on, put a little love here in my void. And then this is the line of the, of the album. He says, it's all in your head. And I said, so's everything, but he didn't get it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like that is such an awesome, smart, funny line. So this has always been one of my favorite songs on the album. And I didn't know when it, at the time, but it was also going to set up her next album, Extraordinary Machine. So, so what about you? Is this a song that, that sings for you? It wasn't initially. Uh, for for almost the reason, and, I, and I'll talk about that when we get to the next album too. But yeah, initially, I I I won't say I rejected this song because I liked it well enough. But I I do remember thinking about this, and I was like, I don't know if I want Fiona Apple to be fun. I kind of like the the misery <laughs> and the heartache. <laughs> like that's that's I think that's where the sweet spot is. That's the most that I like. Um, but yeah, like no question, this is a great song. This was, this song was a nominee for best female rock vocal performance of the Grammys that year. Um, this, the mute, like, I think a lot of the spirit of fun and definitely where we're going to see this goes, like, there's kind of like soft and gentle horns and kind of like, just like, like there's a drum and percussion that just feels like it's like brushed up. Um, and it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of, the music that Michael Penn scored for Boogie Nights, uh, which was oh. also by Paul Thomas Anderson that Pierre yeah. Apple was dating at this time. Um, there's just something about that. It kind of gets a little bit of that um, kind of bit like that. I think Big Top is like the, the, the score, the, the song that he, he composed for the movie that has kind of like this almost carnivalesque kaleidoscope feel. And, and there's something about that. So I wonder if, if that possibly was an influence. But yeah, yeah, I, I have grown. I have grown to like this one just as I have grown to like the follow-up album that sounds more like this, which was not the case initially. Um, but yeah, as you said, with this with this entire album, when the pawn, I remember at once we decided that we were going to do a show. You uh, you posted on Twitter, you know, like a Twitter poll of the of her best albums. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's close for me. I, I I tend to think this album probably has my favorite songs. Whether it's my favorite album, it's neck and neck with the next one that we're going to talk about. But, me too, me too. Um, because there's so much that we could have talked about. As I, as I mentioned before, the song A Mistake, I've always loved. The the two kind of more, I don't know if they were singles, but the more tempo, uh, up-tempos like Fast As You Can and mm-hmm. Limp are also great songs. I mean, it, it's in it, it Fast As You Can, I almost put it on just for the moment where she breaks tempo mm-hmm. and she says, and I'll be your girl if you say it's a gift and you give me some more of your drugs. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, she's so good. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah, it is. It really is. We could have done a whole episode on just this album. But I, it's funny because this was this was an album that took me a while to get into because I had expected title to and it took me several listens to embrace this album. And then it became my favorite and then Extraordinary Machine came along, and I'm right there with you. I, I don't know that I can pick between them, but I'm excited that we're getting to it. Well, let's let's dive into it now. Uh, when Extraordinary Machine came out, which is 2005, I was hoping for When the Pawn Part 2, <laughs> or a sequel to yep. that, with with more of these type of things. Um, and I, I didn't get that. And I, I kind of – I listened to the album once – and then I kind of dismissed it, and I was like, eh, "Well, that was kind of a—I don't know if it was a waste of money, but I really wish it sounded more like you know X, Y, and Z, like those songs from that I, that I heard on the other album." And I put it away, and I kind of honestly I forgot about this album for almost a decade. 
Oh wow! Like it was really it was it was a while. Um, it was probably when when I heard about her fourth album that was that was going to come out. So we're talking. It was probably in like 2012 or 2013 that I was like, okay, she's coming up with a new thing. I was like, you know what? Maybe I never. Maybe I should go back and give Extraordinary Machine a second listen. And all I can think of is it just I wasn't in the right headspace when I heard the album the first time. Like it just I was I was looking for something else and it wasn't there and I I dismissed it without thinking because when I listened to the album for just the second time, you know, eight years after it came out, I loved it instantly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell was wrong with me back in two thousand five? <laughs> I was like, I was such a fool. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick this one off with uh, track four from the album. This song is "Better Version of Me." The nickel dropped when I was on my way beyond the Rubicon. What did I do? And all the games that I can handle, none of one's worth a candle. What should I do? I'm a fighting fickle person, fighting crying, kicking person. What should I do? Oh, after all the folder on and hauling all the cold stuff, roll I do. Can't take a good day without a bad one. Don't feel just a smile till I had one. Where did I learn? I make a fuss about a little thing. The rhyme is losing to the riddling. Where's the turn? Honestly, there's just there's one reason why I picked this song, and it's because she uses the word folderol. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. As you, the, after all the folderol and hauling over cold stops, what did I learn? I'm like, are you kidding me with that? <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Um, it's just, it, I mean, the song committing to getting over an ex or some kind of like heartache putting it behind you there's a kind of like there's this really up-tempo speed which i dig she's Uh kind of rushing herself she's like you know what let's let's just do this let's get out and jog we're we're going to run into a newer happier headspace we're we're really gonna like actively physically put this past relationship behind me and the heartache of that she actually says the breeze will dry her face like just like the wind from like running will like will dry the tears from like this thing like that kind of talk about agency of just like physically forcing yourself to move physically beyond an ex relationship. I was just, oh the, the the metaphor for that I I love it so much. But yeah, it, it came to this. I was like she uses the word folderol. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And she doesn't rhyme it with like Adderall or some other drug that she might. Oh have my been god! On. But it's like it it works. It's perfect. So. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I, I have a similar moment on this album where she uses the word stentorian. She <laughs> says, you know, a voice once stentorian has now been muffled. And I was like, oh, my God, she's a stentorian. Uh, I love this song. This is this is this is the song for me. It's the moment in the in the light comedy movie where the character inadvertently takes cocaine and they just start <laughs> running through like a crazy montage through the city. Like like you said, they're kind of racing to something. You know, it's, it's sort of her yakety sacks. And I <laughs> – I love this song. I, this is an album of agency. This is an, yeah. we have, we have grown from 
title, which is this, you know, again, waif of a girl with a powerful voice that's sort of afraid of her own power to abuse others and, and the ability to be abused by others to when the pawn, which is about really, really examining the ways that we can sort of hurt each other in love. And you get to Extraordinary Machine and this song in particular, and it's it's all about like, yeah, I, I'm good. Like I just need to run. Like you know, let the like you said, let the damn breeze drive my face. You know, like I, it, it's it's such a fun moment. It's such a fun song, and it's just it's wickedly self-deprecating. You know, I really love how um, it's you know wanting to to move forward and heal old wounds, and like you said, like really embrace that that better version of you. And it's so cool because, I mean, she's so funny in it too. She's like, I don't want a home. I'd ruin that. My home is where my habits have a habitat. And it's like it's so great because she's so self-aware. And, you know, that's the thing that's so cool about this too is this isn't a boyfriend bashing song where it's just you were horrible and I'm going to get healthy and strong away from you. It's like, oh, we were really bad. Like we were really toxic together. And I, <laughs> I have an equal part in that. But I'm the one cutting and running because I'm just going to be better off. And, yeah, I love it. I just – it's a fun song on a fun album, and it's funny that you mentioned that that you had trouble getting into it. Uh, I I was actually where I've been behind the curve with Fiona. You know, like I bought into the whole she's a brat thing on title, and you know, and and thought you know when the pawn would be title two until I gave it a good couple of listens. I had heard about Extraordinary Machine and all the issues with Sony releasing it. Yep. And then uh, John Bryan. I mean, they can't prove it, but he leaked the album basically or yeah. somebody leaked the album the the john bryan version now the version on the cd is different she went back with other producers and redid some of the songs but i i downloaded that john bryant version illegally and listened to it non-stop and loved it and actually was surprised because when the the official version came out and a lot of the songs were arranged differently i thought well i'm not going to like this as much because i'm hooked on the other version but it was so good that i was like yep nope i like it i like it even more it's even better but I loved it. I, this is such a fun album, and it it perks me up every time I listen to it. In the way that when the pawn makes me sad every time I listen to it, so it's, <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice compliment. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because this was. And I wonder even if that was if that factored into my dismissing of it because I did remember hearing that the album that was coming out wasn't quote unquote the version that was supposed to be out. Um, like there there was all kinds of. There was all kinds of like behind the scenes shenanigans, and you can hear different you can hear different versions of the story. Like some people claim that like Sony listened to the John Bryan version and they were like, "This album's a mess. Like it's it's mm-hmm. too experimental. There's nothing we can market about this. There's no single. Like you you have to re redo this. Like this we we can't put this out or we don't want to." That was one version that was coming out. The other version was that. Well, well, I, I think I think at one point, one of the stories that I had kind of heard was, you know, John Bryan, this guy, started off playing guitar on Tidal, and then he became the producer and architect of When the Pawn, and then he was dating, he was dating somebody again connected to a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, they broke up, but he was still working with her in some capacity, and it sounded like he begged Fiona Apple to get back in the studio and to record another album. Yeah. And you, like, if you kind of read between the lines, it really seems like he was using her to help himself exercise his demons and his, his stuff, and maybe she wasn't always you know, happy with where he was pulling her and where he was pushing her with the new album, things like that. Again, 
after it was over when she basically you know ditched him and got a new producer and recorded i i think like 90 percent of the album is from it like only like 10 percent of the album is the original john bryant ones but he it sounds like they were still they were able to be amicable and friends friendly with each other uh after she ditched him and got like a new or he still had praise to say for the new album uh, yeah, and I, I wondered because a lot of people were like, you know, this wasn't the album that was supposed to be. Maybe that factored into why I kind of dismissed this one as thinking it was somehow, you know, tainted or corrupted or like this is like the, the official, you know, Sony, like the, the studio version, what the, the record company wanted, but it wasn't as artistic. Um, but yeah, now I'm I, like, you know, maybe this was the version that she always wanted and she just felt like she was being pulled, pushed and pulled in too many directions with the other one because of this relationship that she didn't have enough control over. I think that is accurate. So I, I watched an interview with her and she was talking about all the stuff behind it. And she's like, you know, she's like, oh, I love John Bryant. And in fact, they even played a gig after the official version was released. Like he wanted to kind of show people like, hey, we're cool. Like we're good. They um, she's like, oh, I love John Bryant. She's like, but basically I was rushing the album and that's not how I work. And she's like, and I know in my head what I needed it to sound like. She's like, and we just weren't getting there. So I went with other producers and we got the sound I wanted. She's like, but John and I are still great. And he even was like, oh, yeah, we're still great, which I, I, I think is is really cool. And it's funny because where I got hooked on the on the leaked version first, I hadn't listened to it in a while. And I went back and listened to it to prep for the show. And I was like, oh, no, I greatly prefer the the updated version, even though the you know, the not about love with the cellos is really nice versus with the guitars. I, I still I do think the new version is better. And, and you know, we were there is a fun little story, too, where. A bunch of fans got together and protested Sony. They did a free Fiona movement, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that and Sony has said, "Hey, that actually did help get the album released." You know, and so I think that's really cute. I like that story a lot. Yeah, yeah, I remember like there was that old boycott. Like Sony was actually like asking Fiona, "It's like, hey, will you tell them that it's not our fault? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like we're okay. not the ones holding up this album. Can you maybe you know tell your fans that so they stop you know <laughs> burning us in effigy?" <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. Keeping with this album, that was only the first song. So, t- tell us about another song from this fantastic album. So, my next selection, and, and it was hard to narrow it down, but my next selection is a, a really fun song called "Timps," the sick in the head song. Those boom times went bust. My feet of clay, they dried to dust. The red isn't the red we painted. It's just rust and the signature thing. That used to bring the following I have trouble now Even remembering So why did I kiss him so hard Late last Friday night And keep on letting him change All my plans I'm either so sick in the head I need to be blood dry to quit Or I just really used to love him I sure Now, I selected this for much of the same reason that I selected Paper Bag. I almost feel like this is a, a, a descendant of Paper Bag from When the Pond because it's that same fun, upbeat, uh, really kind of light, silly tempo. I mean, it almost feels like a Broadway song mm. in, in the way that many songs on this album do. And it's such a fun look at – and this it reminds me of college. It's, it's you know, And I was past college by this point, but – it's, it reminds me of those mistakes you make on a drunken weekend in college where you end up making out with your ex at a party because, you know, you're there and they're there and you're both kind of alone and lonely. And then you look back and, you know, the, the chorus is so great. She says, you know, why did I kiss him so hard late last Friday night? I keep letting him change all my plans. I'm either so sick in the head I need to be bled dry to quit or I just really used to love him. 
I sure hope that's it. And the I sure hope that's it part is what makes this song for me <laughs> because she knows that's not it. She like, like she, you don't say I sure hope that's it if you know that's it. And it's such a fun and the music matches the sort of tongue in cheek nature of this song of like, uh, oh, man, I got drunk. I made out with my ex and I'm really regretting it. And maybe I can let myself off the hook by saying, well, it's just a reflection that I used to love him. But, yeah, we both know that's not true. So I just <laughs> it's just a fun song. I love her. And I like you, I didn't know that I would get to this place, but this album definitely does it. I love fun Fiona. I love sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek, and I love the music that corresponds with it. The very, you called it, sort of Carnival Barker-esque music that's underneath it. So uh, what about you? Is this is this a song that you enjoyed? I do, I do. And I was glad that you picked this one on your list because, yeah, it, it has that um, – It's it's got the beat. It's jazzy, sort of Carnival-esque. Baroque, I guess, is a, a, a word that I've used, I've heard used to describe uh, this type of sound that really kind of dominates her, her couple albums lately. Um, and yeah, it's it just like the tone, the, the, like the, the feel it, she's carrying you away or, or something is carrying her away. You're kind of getting lost in the beat. I love how she both speeds up and slows down her vocals at different times, uh-huh. kind of giving you the sense that she's a little bit out of control at this moment, which is fitting of the, the theme, but also the title, the sick in the head thing. Um, the lyric in particular, that isn't the red that we painted. It's just rust. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Oh, yeah. It's a. It's a. It's a really good and and like you, I, I think I just needed to be at a different place in my life where I could get into fun, up tempo, kind of flighty Fiona Apple that has a, a different worldview and a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. This is the weird album in, in her her collection that you put on to cheer yourself up. I mean, it might be the only one you put on to cheer yourself up, but it's yeah. great. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think if I was making a list of my favorite songs, I think more of them would come from When the Pawn, but perhaps ironically, given all of the behind the scenes stuff and, and like the way it kind of bounced back and forth between different producers and, and the complexity, I think maybe this album as a whole, the consistency maybe holds up the, the best. Like if you were just to play an album start to finish. Yeah. Possibly. It's another. It's a perfect album. She has two perfect albums, yeah. and maybe maybe three actually. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, all right, the next song, still with this one, because uh, I can't leave. This is the song "Parting Gift." It is my fault, you see. You never learn that much from me. Oh, you silly, stupid pastime of mine. But we went on wholehearted, it ended bad, but I love what we started, it says stop. But we went on wholehearted, it ended bad, but I love what we started. So I think this is the only track on the album that was written after she split from John Bryan and decided to go in a different direction. And I can't help but keep that in mind and think that it might potentially even be informed by him or about him and the dissolution of that partnership. 
Um, she has a line at one point, you were always good for a rhyme. Well, she said, the course, oh, you silly, stupid pastime of mine. You were always good for a rhyme. Now, this could just mean that the guy was inspirational for songs, and certainly all of her ex-lovers have fit that bill. <laughs> um, but in this point, she could be saying that he was literally a songwriter. Um, so perhaps it was about that. Um, but I also... You know, thinking about the story of how he might have been kind of using her to help him get past his own ex, there's a line this one where she said, or a lyric, she says, You looked as sincere as a dog, just as sincere as a dog does when it's the food on your lips with which it's in love. First of all, I love that it's the sentence structure is grammatically correct. The, the with <laughs> it really is. It's really um, nice. But that idea of the dog is does the dog really love you? Is it man's best friend, or does the dog just want the food that you have that you can that you can share with it? Does it just want to lick your face to taste those crumbs, and that that could be the boyfriend in this situation that is is he really is he giving back to her is he reciprocating that love or is he just using her because she gives him something that he needs at that moment i i am crushed by the the talent and the 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 ability to synthesize an emotion or a complex feeling like that with such a metaphor or analogy like that it's just it's crazy and then, of course, that I, I I do love it when she said the sign said stop, but yeah. we went on wholehearted. It ended bad, but I love what we started. Could be about a relationship. Could be about the album. I think it fits both, uh, and that's just yeah, I, I love that. I also how I love how pointed and sharp the chorus is. There's like this heavy, choppy piano that comes in mm-hmm. and really commands your attention because this is a song that you could just kind of have on in the background and kind of get lost. And then it jars you back and like brings you with those piano notes. Yeah, I mean, she slams the piano when she goes into the "Oh, you silly, stupid pastime of mine," and, and it is—it's discordant. It catches you because it breaks the rhythm. It's really impressive, and it you know matches the tone of that moment. This song has my single favorite line. I mean, and, and you said it's the you know we went on wholehearted, it ended bad, but I love what we started because I just think that's another moment of growth and reflection. And I I needed that moment too. I don't know why at this point, but, you know, I was, I was married and, and, you know, by this point, but there's, you know, certain relationships or certain people who kind of float in or out of your life. And, you know, some relationships don't end well. And to get to that point where you can say like, yeah, it ended bad, but I love where we started. And I I can honor those moments. I can honor the good that happened. I I just think that's a real, I don't know, a sign of evolution, a real sign of growth. And, you know, you can't always get there with everyone, but I, I love that line. This song really hits me hard. And it's funny, I've never considered it to be about John Bryan. That, that actually, you, you were kind of blowing my mind because it makes total sense. You're right. It is the only song whole cloth created after he was off the, the album. And so, it, you know, it does make sense. And if it is, then that is even cooler because I do love then that she's saying to him, you know, like, hey, you know, this, this, there may have been some bad that surrounded this end. You know, there may have been some chaos and some hard feelings, but at the end of the day, you know, I still have this, I still really revere and respect what we did. And, and again, you know, I, I read an interview with him and I thought it was really cool because he was like, yeah, the, the day the album or the week the album dropped, he's like, she and I played a gig at Largo together. Like, he's like, we're good. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I, again, I like that. I don't want her to be, I don't want her to be as, as archetypally, 
uh, unstable in real life as she is on her albums. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, again, back to that kind of Stephen King analogy. Right. I like the, I like hoping, and this is really dumb because I don't know her, but I like hoping that she's really happy, you know? And, <laughs> and, and I do, I do think it's really cool because this album is so indicative of this. I like the way she releases music. Like, look, would I love 10 more albums by her? Yes, of course. But we've gotten these five gems over 20, almost 25 years because she doesn't, rush it and she doesn't feel pressured she doesn't feel like oh my career's over if i don't release an album sooner oh people are going to forget me i'll be out of the zeitgeist it's very much like oh you know when the mood strikes me and it's like but because she produces things like this i'm like okay keep doing that i'll wait five more years i'll wait six more years if this is what we're getting right right and so you know before we leave this delightful little album this wonderful wonderful moment in time uh, i want to just talk about the title track extraordinary machine I certainly haven't been shopping for any new shoes And I certainly haven't been spreading myself around I still only travel by foot and by foot it's a slow climb But I'm good at being uncomfortable so I can't stop changing all the time I notice that my opponent is always on the go Go slow so as not to focus And I notice He'll let you ride With any guide as long as they go fast From whence he came But he's no good at being uncomfortable So we can't stop staying Exactly the same If there was a better way to go Then it would find me I can't help it The road just rolls out Behind me Be kind to me are treating me mean I'll make the most of it I'm an extraordinary machine Now I picked this song because it's so representative of the album it's so playful and it you know it's it's a song that could have been right out of Wizard of Oz like it actually it's what it reminds me of when I listen to it I see you know the lollipop guild and I see <laughs> colorful people dancing and i just think it's such a it's it's a joy it's just so joyous and it's that's unusual for her because you know even on this album that's really joyous you know there are still these sort of down notes or there's still these this undercurrent of of sort of self-criticism or criticism of others but extraordinary machine is just such an awesome song about being yourself even when yourself is this oddity that no one around you understands like she says I still only travel by foot, and by foot it's a slow climb, but I'm good at being uncomfortable, so I can't stop changing all of the time. And I love that. I love that she's owning her oddity in this song. And instead of punishing herself for it, as she did on earlier albums, or punishing others for not recognizing it and valuing it, this is like a real statement of self. This is a real – I had to imagine writing this song must have felt very freeing mm-hmm. to say like, hey, I'm not like anybody else. I'm really unusual, but I'm – super cool with it and i'm I'm just gonna go from there and I, I love it i think it's a statement i think it's a flag i think it's you know a, a real flag in the sand of like here's who i am and i think it informs her music to come and again i love that she titled the album this because 
you know, she is this extraordinary machine, and I like that she acknowledges it. So, what about you? Is this a favorite of yours? Yeah, I, and I, I, I think, I think you had the, the great description that this is a sort of statement of self and statement of kind of independence. Because uh, one of the lines that I've always liked, it's like verse three or verse four. She has a line where she compares herself to, or she says she's the baby of the family. Yeah, uh, and she said that everybody around her had, like wears sheep's clothing while they chaperone her. Like everybody seems to feel like they had like the, all of her surrounding have to protect her and have to kind of keep her guarded and she's like i don't need that no she's she's like and i know what you're trying to do and like you're trying to protect me and you're trying to disguise your own agendas and motivations she's like no we're beyond that um so that that sense of of defiance and and not feeling that of stepping out yeah it's it's a good it's a great opening track to sort of set the mood and set the tone for this one and it's the song I wanted to leave the album on for this episode because it is – this album I think is a declaration of self and it's so cool to see her evolution. If she had only made these three albums, it still would have been a Hall of Fame career and we still would have seen this unbelievable evolution. You know, But very fortunately, we get super cool experimental music to come. <laughs> yeah, which takes us to the fourth album called The Idler Wheel, which again is actually a shortened version of, of another – more, more of a couplet uh, than a whole, uh, whole poem. The idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do. For this one, I only picked one song, um, and this is an album that, just for whatever reason, I, I also have not immersed myself in that much. I haven't given this album enough listens compared to the others. Um, I, I kind of, I don't know what it was. Like, I just when this album was about to come out, I rediscovered Extraordinary Machine, and I just, I was living more and more with those three. And then this one came along, and I just, I didn't give it as much of a chance. Um, so it might be an occasion where a couple years from now I do a deep dive on this album, and I just, I think that this was my favorite. <laughs> we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> um, but for now, I only have one song from the Idler Wheel, and it's the track Werewolf. Probably just because I like the name. But you are such a super guy Till the second you get away from me We're like a wishing well And a bolt of electricity But we can still support each other All we gotta do is avoid each other the wrong with a song ends in the minor key Nothing wrong with a song What I love about this song is there's, first, right off the bat, there's immediate imagery of violence and bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as she's, she compares, she, I can liken you to a werewolf, which there might be some wordplay with lichen yeah. uh, and, and werewolf. Um, but also I liken you to a shark, you know, feeding blood. But there's also some self-recrimination because she's like, I can liken you to a werewolf, but I'm the one who provided the full moon. Or, you know, I can liken you to a shark, but I'm the one who gave, like, the bloody stump and everything like that. So there's just this really crazy kind of feeling in the song. And in the second verse, she talks about chemicals being probably drugs and this high and fix, but knowing that it's not real. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, it's a, a couple that just isn't right for each other. They're very passionate. They have this chemistry, but there's something about them that they bring out the worst in each other. Now, can anybody identify why I might have keyed in on this type of relationship? What else about my podcasting life might th- this might sound like? 
it's a Sam and Diane song. It's yeah, Sam and Diane from Cheers. Yeah, it's I, I listened to this one. I was like, yep, this is the couple that they, they're hot for each other. They have this kind of explosive dynamic chemistry, but they also just oh, they're they're destructive the longer they're together. So I, I've always liked that about this one. Yeah, this is the. I mean, for to be, not to be crass, but this is the you know great in bed, toxic mm-hmm. out of it yeah. couple. And you know, and it is. And I love this song. I actually love this song because of the the gentleness of the chorus, where she says like, you know, there's nothing wrong with the song that ends in a minor key. Yeah, and, you know, it's a and it's beautiful. The way she sings it is beautiful. It's you know really melodic, and it's and it's also a nice bit saying like, hey, our relationship can peter out. You know, and and I like that that part too, where you know the the whole spirit of this song is. Hey, you're a good person. I'm a good person. We are incredibly bad for each other. And so the kindest thing we can do for each other, if we really do care, is stay apart. <laughs> like that's the kindness we can pay each other. And, and I, yeah, and, and you, you nailed it. I like her self-recrimination. She says, and I could liken you and yeah, liken is really cute to a lot of things, but it always comes around because in the end I'm a sensible girl and I know the fiction of the fix. <laughs> and it's, that's a cool moment. Cause you're like, she's not bashing him. She's saying we're both. You know, it takes oxygen and you know spark to make a fire, and we're both involved in this. I like the Sam and Diane comparison. That's funny. When you were saying like part of your your podcasting life, I was like, you and PJ frightful. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not where he's going. We we um, did come to bloodshed between us at the end. It did. It did. I was thinking about that final episode, and so uh, I, you know, I I have a very similar relationship to this album. I think that you do, in that when it came out, it it didn't grab me immediately like you know i got it i was like oh new fiona apple and it's a very like the word i would use for this album is discordant it is not an album overly concerned with rhythm or melody right and i you know i've gone back and like done some research on it and what it turns out is she and the the producer of the album whose name i'm blanking on basically just went into a studio with a bunch of percussion instruments and she was just super into percussion at the mm-hmm. moment and she's like hey what if we made percussion the main instrument Instead of like guitar or piano, like what if it was all about different percussive sounds? And so they they crafted these really interesting beats and these really interesting like songs and lyrics that go with the beats. So it's definitely, I think, her least accessible album. It's not the album, uh, in theory, I would give to somebody new to her music. But having said that, in you know being sort of obsessed with her and like you know watching interviews with her and watching things about her. I was reading a ton of like, you know, spin and pitchfork and and all these articles and for millennials, like for the the generation generation below me anyway, this is their Fiona Apple album. Like if you look at if you go out and you look at the list of like greatest Fiona Apple Apple albums, you can actually tell somebody's age by how they rank them. <laughs> because people who are younger than me, it's all it's idler wheel and they'll say like, "Oh, this album blew me away. It's so experimental, it's so brilliant, it's so heart-wrenching." And it it cracks me up because I'm like, okay, that's how good she is, that she redefined herself for a generation of of people as this innovative musicians, and I need to plug back into that album. So I do I do listen to this album, and there are my favorite song on it is is Hot Knife, hmm. uh, and it was hard leaving that song off actually because it's a almost sort of like Bugle Boy of Company B, you know, multi layered percussive you know voices song. That's just about being really hot for a guy, and I I love that song, and I think it's great. But this is a this is an album that, like you, I I struggled with. I'm getting more into it now, and I do think it's going to be one of those albums that I, I have to kind of earn it. 
And once I really find my way in, it will end up being one of my favorites. All right, then. Let's move on to uh, the album that came out earlier this year and really kind of sparked and reawakened my love for her and my desire to really do an entire podcast dedicated to her, uh, which is the album Fetch the Bolt Cutters from 2020. Uh, Which song do you want to talk about first? Well, I I know David Ace Gutierrez is going to mock me on Twitter for this, but I'm going to open with the title track, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And you maim when you're on offense, but you kill when you're on defense. And you've got them all convinced that you're the means and the end. All the VIPs and PYTs and wannabes, afraid not being your friend. And I've always been too smart for that, but you know what? My heart was not. I took it like a kid, you see. The cool kids voted to get rid of me. I'm ashamed of what it did to me, what I let get done. It stole my fun, it stole my fun. That's the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long Fetch the bolt cutters I've been in here too long Fetch the bolt cutters I've been in here too long Fetch the bolt cutters So I love this song. I love this album. It is the soundtrack of 2020 for me. It came out (laughs) Right when, you know, quarantine was really hitting and, and we were starting to understand, well, not really. We were we were starting to at least understand the scope of what we were dealing with and the fear was settling in. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really understand the length of what we would be going through and the, the sort of shared experience, but also shared trauma of what we would be going through. And this album came out and I was like, OK, OK, that's one good for you, 2020. We got a new Fiona Apple album. And immediately, you know, all of the press, Pitchfork gave it 10 out of 10. It's, you know, the first time they'd done that for an album in 10 years. And, and you know, people were like, oh, my God, this is Fiona at her best. This is amazing. And I was a little leery because, again, hadn't really found my way into Idler Wheel. And I was like, well, if it's still super experimental, am I going to love it as much? And, you know, am I ever going to love her stuff as much as Extraordinary Machine and Won the Pawn? And I put this on and I was like, yep, nope, I'm back. <laughs> like this is a you know, first listen through. I immediately love this album. And this song in particular – And the reason I chose this song is because, you know, even listening to this episode, every single song we've spoken about, for the most part, has been about love, has been about some aspect of relationships and love. And this is the first time, I think, in her discography where she starts writing about her past and she starts writing about her childhood. And and actually, the majority of songs on this album are not about love unless it's, you know, kind of love of self or, you know learning to sort of forgive yourself or forgive your bullies. And this song in particular is so good. It's it's the single best encapsulation of mean girl bullying I've ever heard. And I taught middle school. Like I, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to try to claim that I understand it as well as a woman would. But I taught middle school and I saw the way that p- kids bully each other. And I got a first, you know, up close view of the way girls bully each other in particular. You know, and I love the the line because she's trying to be friends with this guy and his friends are rejecting her and it reminds her of when she was a kid and being bullied. And she says, and I've always been too smart for that. But you know what? My heart was not. I took you as a kid. You see the cool kids voted to get rid of me. And I'm ashamed of what that did to me when I got done, how they stole my fun. They stole my fun. And I love that because it's just that reminder that like no matter how old we get, no matter how evolved we get, we kind of never escape our childhood bullies. (laughs) Like we never maybe really – you know, we can paste over those initial scars, but they never super go away. And I just found it new, new subject matter from her and, you know, new topic. And 
It's a really cool song that includes dogs barking in the background. So it's like listening to a podcast. You know, it's really good. Uh, but I, I, I love it. I, I don't know. Is it, what about you? Is this one of your favorite songs from the album? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. As a, as an as sort of encapsulation of the album, I, I really do like it, and I think it's great. And yeah, I, I love it. And I, it kind of boils down to just like the title and what that meant, uh, particularly when the album comes out in the middle of this COVID pandemic shutdown fetch the bolt cutters just like get yep. me out of here this feeling <laughs> of escape and breaking away getting out of oppressive relationships or anything that chains you down um she said that the uh, the, the title actually comes from uh the bbc crime drama show the fall which stars jillian anderson Ooh, uh, which my show. wife really likes she she watched that show um and apparently there's a line fetch the fucking bolt cutters um <laughs> So, yeah, I, I like that, but it also, it. I mean, yes, you're right. Like, this song kind of taps into the themes of the album, which deals a lot with bullying, um, kind of breaking away from these oppressive relationships, but there's a comment, but also dealing with her past. She talks about sexual abuse and violence. Um, I, I think um, the, the Me Too movement and a lot of stories that came about there were really influential on the writing and crafting of this album. Um, because she brings in, she brings a lot of that percussion from the previous album back into this and really experiments with percussion on this. And I think the, the kind of, uh, mood that that strikes, uh, really informs this. The backup vocals on this one, uh, is done by Cara Delvaline. Um, oh, who was the Enchantress from the Suicide Squad movie? <laughs> um, they, I guess they know each other, and and also Kara's dogs are some of the dogs in this. Like it's the two of their their dogs are the, get guest uh, vocal appearances on this song. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. So it, not the song that I'm going to talk about, but I, I told you at the last minute that I swapped one out. There's a song on this album that I really wanted to talk about, but uh, we're not going to delve into it too much. But it's a song called "For Her," which is a song about. She's she's basically telling a story that um, of a of a friend of hers or a woman that she knew that she talked to um, who was in this really really nasty relationship with a guy and really kind of gets into the ideas of rape and being abused and things like that and there she actually has a lyric you raped me in the same room that your daughter was born in something like that it's oh it's harsh. Um, yeah. But I also think in going with like the Me Too thing, that that song and part of the album was also partially inspired by the the Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings for Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that, that wasn't even a previous relationship, but she still managed to invoke him in some of her, her diss albums. So, well, and, yeah. and I think what's so interesting, you know, I know we're not lingering on that song, but I think what's so interesting about that is, you know, the idea that you know we live in a world where sexual abusers are being elected to the highest offices and there's a a, a scope and a spectrum of horrors beyond mm-hmm. you know in that statement but in particular that it communicates to victims of sexual abuse like you know not only did you know were you per- perhaps not listened to and not only did this horrible thing happen to you but like the men who did these kind of things can can escape scot free and right. even attain you know the highest offices in the land and i yeah that's that is it, it again this album is a real broadening of scope for her you know musically and lyrically and topically and it's so timely and it's so powerful and it just hit at the right moment for me it sounds like it did for you as well yeah. with you know quarantine and this sort of imposed self-reflection and this imposed understanding of mortality this album just came at the right time, so I'm really glad we're diving into it. I know you've got a song for it up next. Yeah, yeah, this was the the last song I'll be talking about, but I definitely wanted to get it because this is another 
it's it's slightly fun given the album and the subject matter. Um, but the song is "Under the Table." And if I don't wanna go, leave me alone. Don't push me. Cookie, don't push me. Don't you push me? If you get me to go and I open my mouth to the fucking mutton that they're talking about, you could proud, but don't you? Don't you? Don't you? Don't you? Don't you shush me? Get me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. Kick me to the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. Kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. Kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. The song opens up with the lines, I would beg to disagree, but begging disagrees with me. And I fucking love that, that line. I'm just like, oh my <laughs> so god, how could, you, how could you write something like that? Um, she, The song, she evokes this disastrous dinner party, which apparently is based on a true thing, where we, we've all been at that thing, and it's like, you don't want to be there. And then you're just sitting there trying to just block out what's going on and somebody at this party that you don't even know and you don't even like says something offensive and she has to call him out and she's telling her lover boyfriend husband whatever kick me under the table all you want i won't shut up and it's so real because i was like i have been in both parts of that situation and i imagine almost everybody has been you've been both parties you have been the one that's just like nope i i have something that i need to say and get out of my way and then you've also been that person that's just like you're gonna get me fired if you don't stop this please (laughs) please just just choke it down until we get in the car (laughs) so i just ah, i love the song and again it's 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 just one of those new kind of new territories, but it's a it's a kind of adult reality that I love and I can relate to. So, what do you think? Yeah, I like the song a lot too. It is fun and it's it's petulant in a really cool way, where it's you know she just keeps repeating like you know kick me under the table and the way she sings it even is like defiant. Mm-hmm. And I it, this is so dumb because this is not what she meant, but I see this as a direct refutation of Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is the dumbest connection ever, but I love Amy Mann, and and Amy Mann was on my brain because we had covered Wise Up on a yep, uh, and I, I covered I covered that on on the Girl Power episode that I did with my brother. I did uh, Voices Carry. Yeah, exactly. And so she's just been in my brain, and I love her as a singer songwriter. And I think about that song, you know, about the the man telling her to you know shut up and mm-hmm. that you know not to talk about their affair. And I love this moment again, a moment of agency for her of like, oh no, no, no. And, and there's a great line in here where she's like, and don't you shush me. And it's so <laughs> yes. fun because it's not the language is very. It's it's like it could be harsher, right? It could be there could be curse words and it could be really aggressive. But it's very sort of like, don't shush me, don't kick me under the table. There's this little kind of a kid element to it, but there's also this element of like, oh, you better not be pedantic to me, you jerk. Like, I'm not that person anymore, and I'm not going to be quiet. And then she just goes off on the guy and calls him a climber and says she's going to give him like pillow-soled shoes for the climb up, but also for all the bodies he steps on. I mean, it's a, it is a fun song. And I, again, I love it, a broadening of topic for her. It's just really cool to see her you know spreading her wings a little bit look i would love another album from her soon of you know heart-wrenching love songs (laughs) 
but this was a really cool moment in her in her discography. So and that song's a lot of fun. I think going back to uh, the term that you used very early on, um, from the male perspective or from the the boy the, the partner's perspective, whoever is, is sitting with her at the table, she comes across as a brat in this song. Yeah. And, and if you're not taking it from her perspective, I think that is very, very funny. It, oh, yeah, and she's unapologetic for it, mm-hmm. too. That's what I love about it. There's a, there's an unapologetic petulance in the yes. way she sings it yes. where you can see her, like, arms crossed, like, staring across the table, like, oh, I'm going to down the person who just said that thing yes. and you know, not even caring. It's, it is. And, again, it's fun because we're getting to see more of her personality, you know, which has been happening over the last few albums, and I, I'm excited that it's still here. Yeah. All right, one more song from this album. What do you got? So I couldn't walk away from this album without talking about my favorite song on it, which is Shamika. I used to walk down the streets on my way to school, grinding my teeth to a rhythm invisible. I used my feet to crush the leaves like a so like fetch the bolt cutters this is a song about her childhood this is a song about her past and it is a song in a way about bullies but it's it's a song about how we build our self constructs we construct our sense of self we build our self perception sometimes on the views and opinions of others. And that can be really destructive, right? If the wrong person says the wrong thing to you at the wrong time, it, you carry that with you, you know, and, and that's a scar that you have with you. But the, the opposite is true. And I love this because she dips into this in this song. And she, you know, she opens a song talking about how she walks to school and she like crunches the leaves under her as symbols, like she's making music as she walks to school. But the bullies are there. And, and you know, she says, I love the line. She says, I wasn't afraid of the bullies. And that just made the bullies worse. And she's, you know, watching the clock go in school and she's just not connecting. But this Shamika person who she she isn't friends with because at one point in the song she says she wasn't gentle and she wasn't my friend notices her and says like, yeah, you've got potential. And she just holds on to that. She holds on to that moment when she's young. And then even now in the song she says like and when the you know, when it gets torrential, I think Shamika said I had potential. And it's really cool. There's a, my favorite part of it is there's a moment where she says, you know, uh, Tony, Tony said I'm uh, pissed off, fu- uh, funny and warm. Sebastian said I'm a good man in the storm. And then later on in the song, she's kind of getting down a little bit. But then she says, but I'm pissed off, funny and warm. I'm a good man in a storm. <laughs> and it's such a cool example of how we take what other people said about us and and we kind of hold it to ourselves. And um, I don't know. It's it's I love it. It reminds me a lot, honestly, of being a teacher. You know, it's it's one of the things I tried to really do in my classroom is is find a way to authentically and genuinely identify something in in each kid that was po- like positive and resounding, because you just never knew. I mean, they they could forget it as they get up and walk to their next class, and it but it also could be the moment where like Shamika, you know, like you needed that moment to hear it. Uh, and I have those moments, you know, we all have those moments. So uh, again, just a, a topic I'm not used to hearing from her, mm-hmm. but done in a really cool way. And, and I, I love this song. I know some people are annoyed by the repetition in it, 
but I think it's really powerful. And, and um, what about you? I, you seem pretty excited when I picked this song. Yeah, just because it's, again, it's a very different type of song. It has a different sound. Um, the fact that she's evoking this name, which I, 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 I haven't been able to pinpoint. Like she, she's mentioned that this was like a, a real thing from her childhood. She kind of like said, I don't know if the person Shamika is actually, if that was the, the actual name or not. I do think it's interesting that the word shame is part of that name. I don't know mm-hmm. if that means anything or not, but I just, I, I noticed it. Um, I guess the, the, the line about a good man in a storm was something that the band was on tour or they were like going to like one of the rehearsal sessions or something like that. And they were, they were caught up and I, I guess like the, the one of the drummers or guitarists or something said something like they were almost busted by the cops for having a ton of cannabis, like an offensive amount of cannabis on them. <laughs> uh, and Fiona Apple was able basically just to talk the cops down. And like, I don't know if she talked them out of getting a ticket or basically just distracted them so that they didn't get, in trouble, but he he basically told her, "You're a good man in a storm," because like they they needed her to sort of settle them down and and get them out of that situation. But yeah, I, I, again, like her, th- this whole album kind of like exploring these different ideas of bullying, abuse, growth, escape, kind of like just different things, kind of like taking a wider view than just her own you know personal heartaches and relationships. Uh, and having more of a kind of worldly kind of like spin, but be, being able to still kind of like play with her, her ability to craft music and and lines and words, um, to to capture these very human moments and human expressions, and and now being able to take that out of herself and cast that onto broader images and, and avenues of humanity. I, I think it's a fascinating evolution for her as a songwriter and as an artist. Um, so yeah, exactly as you said, I would love to get more of this, but I would I could also I could get another album like Tidal or When the Pawn if that's what she wants to deliver. Um, I hope we don't have to wait another eight years for her next yeah. material, but... Again, when I mentioned that I've been a fan of hers, kind of, and I said off and on because it doesn't always hit me the exact right way at the exact right time. Yeah, but I can say that for, she's five out of five in delivering just fascinating, emotionally important and and, and captivating albums and, and music, um, and that's that's an extraordinary. Uh, ability and, and a gift for her. So, yeah, that's why she's always been one of my favorites and probably always will be. Yeah, and just the ability to be inventive over the course of, you know, 25 years, the ability to, and not even, and that's the thing that's interesting. She's not reinventing herself. She hasn't changed. Like, right, she's right. been, she's been on the same, same person on the same trajectory. She's grown, but I wouldn't say she's changed. And, and you know, these albums all sound like the next natural step from the ones that came before it. And, and this album in particular for me was such an interesting album and, and kind of following off of Idler Wheel because it's a slimming down of her lyrically, right? Like she she had a tendency in a beautiful way, poetic way, to overwrite when she was younger, but in a good way. Like I'm not complaining about it. And Title is a very written album. And this is a really stripped down album. The music is really stripped down. And like you said, she carries some of the percussive elements from Idler Wheel. She carries some of the tongue-in-cheek fun from Extraordinary Machine, but she still has the power and the brilliance from the first two albums. And this is a really cool evolutionary step for her. 
And I could take it one of two ways. It could either be the capstone of her career where it's like this is where it was heading to this really cool, interesting place. Or, and I think this is more accurate, it's actually the launching point for the next stage of her career. Like I think the, the albums that follow, we're going to trace back to this one and be like, oh, yeah, the, the signs were there. The genesis of this was there. And I just – I think it's amazing. I, I think a, a great band in my mind has three great albums, like three unassailable albums. If you go beyond that, if you can get that kind of longevity, if you can make it out of – you know, she's now what her third decade mm-hmm. of, of producing great music, then that's when you transcend. That's when you become you know, one of the greats. And, and I just think it's, it's unassailable that she's one of the great songwriters and singers of all time. Agreed, agreed, and I think we can leave it at that. So, Sean, thank you very much for being my guest on Fire and Water Records again to talk about one of our favorites. Uh, where else can people hear you if they want to hear more from you? Well, a Fiona cast is coming. So, so, um, <laughs> so thank you so much for having me, man. This was awesome. I always love recording together, and in particular, I love getting to talk music with you. Uh, people can find me on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. I'm co-host of Secret Wars and Beyond with my buddy, Dr. G. I co-host Never Reading Pile, Never Ending Reading Pile with my buddy, Greg Arujo. And then I'm actually recently uh, the co-host of The Bat Pod with Bill Beer, where we cover new issues of Batman that come out each month. And so I'm kind of all over the comic book comic book podcasting airways but i do love to get to talk music and other subjects so i do appreciate it man i this was a lot of fun for me and and i i really enjoyed diving back into her work all right folks fire and water records is a proud part of the fire and water podcast network feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as facebook and twitter special thanks to our patreon supporters for more information on how you can support the fire and water podcast network visit patreon.com slash fw podcasts you can also support the show by going to apple podcasts or spotify and leave us a nice five-star review every review from fire and water records helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience all music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended thanks for listening and have a happy 2021 hope this year is getting off to a good start but as the scenery grows, I see in different lights The shades and shadows undulate in my perception.